Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive science knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green, and joining me this week, as always, is science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. And our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. Hello. What's the coolest thing you've ever ridden? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Toyota Corolla? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing. Have any of us, have any of us ever been on a motorcycle? Oh, actually, I used to own a motorcycle. (laughs) Really? What? And Uh, why did you say Toyota Corolla? I forgot. Motorcycle, I would put in quotes. It was a a Honda 90. I don't know if you're familiar with what those are. They're almost like a little toy motorcycle, like a hobby motorcycle. Oh, it's awesome. It it was cool as hell. It's very cool. It looks like like a bike, like an electric bike kind of, but a little bit chunkier. It was old, though. They're very old, and it just didn't work super great, so... I gave it up, oh, but I man. drove that to college for a couple, for like a couple Oof, months. And then, God, you have blown Sari and I out of the water. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mine might be one of those like lime scooters. I'm sure you've been on a jet ski before, right? I have been on a jet oh. ski. Thank you for salvaging <laughs> my credibility. 
That was my second answer. (laughs) Well, I haven't been on a motorcycle or a jet ski or a snowmobile. Probably like a roller coaster is the coolest thing that I've ever been on. Like the cool thing to ride. Like the Mount Everest one at Disney World. You ride it. You ride it. I said, what's the coolest thing you've ever ridden? I feel like steering it is a part an important aspect. You ride a roller coaster. It's called a ride. (laughs) (laughs) I'm steering a bumper car. We would go to this little bumper car place near Cannon Beach, Oregon, and my grandpa Mm -hmm. would bumper car with me and That's my sister. Fun. That's fun. Yeah. And that was great. Yeah. You never mm-hmm. even been on a motorcycle for one second. No. I haven't either. Huh. Yeah. My mom got in a motorcycle. Her brothers run a motorcycle shop and she got in a pretty big accident. Her whole knee scraped up. So I think Ooh. she was like, let's not have my scraped children up do in the kind of way that it's still scraped up. And you yeah, can it's tell. like very, she would, <laughs> she would always be like, this is my motorcycle scar yeah. uh, mm. from Malaysia. Wow. So your mom is way cooler than you. <laughs> Oh, yeah, definitely. She's like, <laughs> she knows like brothers. five languages yeah. and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> has ridden motorcycles and yeah, yeah, extremely cool person. It's a fairly universal experience for my slash your generation that our parents are way cooler than yeah, us. Yeah, my dad was driving a truck when he was like 10. <laughs> yeah, my dad was a commercial fisherman in Alaska and he has like rocks inside of his knee. <laughs> <laughs> Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to uh, one-up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts while also trying to stay on topic. Our panelists are playing for glory and also for Hank Bucks, which I will be awarding as we play. And at the end of the episode, one of them will be crowned the winner. Now, as always, we're going to introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem. This week, it's from me. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. I wrote it four weeks ago. The long-promised paper poem. <laughs> it better go. be good. <laughs> it's not. Soft and crinkly, very thin. <laughs> Fold it into a shape you can put things in. Get it real wet. So what? what? Fold it into a shape you can put things in. I mean, yeah. Get it real wet so it's nice and pulpy. Put locks together. It gets real bulky. <laughs> Write down your thoughts in short little jots or make little dots in the shape of knots. Made out of lignin and cellulose. Trying to eat it is really gross. Paper so brown or paper so white. Paper so dull or paper so bright. Paper in the day or paper at night. Paper on which we all can write. You pulled it through at the end there. I liked it. I, I kind of got sucked in. <laughs> I, think it, I think it held up all the way through. Thank you. I feel like you know that a poem is going to be <laughs> bad when it starts out. And you're just describing the thing, like literally describing it. (laughs) One thing I know about paper, very thin. Yeah. Sari, what is paper? Well, it's very thin and it's kind of (laughs) crinkly. I mean, now that I've said that, there is some like thick paper. There's thick paper that you can't easily crumple. There's paper that you can't easily write on. You got to have special inks or materials. Yeah, people make like couches out of paper. Is there a thickness of paper at which it just becomes a plank of wood (laughs) (laughs) i don't think so because paper is processed wood so paper is material that's produced by a combination of mechanically and chemically processing plant matter so wood or grasses or fabrics like cotton that are derived from plants Mm. Uh, you process it and then you get a bunch of the cellulose fibers, you extract them, and that's the pulp. Uh, there's often usually lignin in there as well, but in modern paper, we remove it because that's what makes paper yellow as it ages and like get kind of crinkly and degrade. Um, and then you like mush the pulp flat and you dry it out and then you cut it into your pieces and that's paper. It's pretty amazing. Like when I picture 
what like the byproduct of of what you the process you just described. Mm-hmm. I'm not picturing something super smooth and silky like uh, apparently it is mm-hmm. like a piece of printer paper. Yeah, that doesn't seem like something that happened by chopping up tree into little bits. And yet, and yet, I think a lot of modern paper like the printer paper that you're imagining has had a lot of other processing and additives. Like it isn't just cellulose. There's oh, no. bleaching materials in it to, to make it whiter, a whiter sure, white sure. for your black mm-hmm. ink on it. I think there are also sometimes some mineral additives like chalk or uh, okay. other things to make it smoother. Probably chuck some microplastics in there. Yeah, I yeah. think a lot of like any any waterproof paper has microplastics in it. Like if it's oh, resistant I thought I was, to tearing. I thought I, I was making it up. Oh no, I think no. there are plastics in some papers. Uh, mm, great. That are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm not shocked now yeah. that now that we've tasted. Can we just make it out of polyester? Why not? But there are some papers that I I feel like the more traditional paper, like washi paper or rice paper, that's where you can start seeing more of the fibers. Or if you make your own paper, I don't know. There is, I feel like that's a big thing. I did it in kindergarten as like a a learning (laughs) opportunity moment where Mm -hmm. we mushed up construction paper and then packed it together and then made new construction paper that was all brown. (laughs) Because <laughs> we all yeah, did too many colors yeah. and sucked, also. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Uh-huh. Like it fell apart. But Look, we made worse paper. <laughs> uh-huh. We took yeah, this perfectly good paper from the recycling yeah. bin. We ruined we, some paper and uh-huh. made bad paper. Yeah, we did that with like jeans, which was mm-hmm. cool. oh, we like, you know, we like turned well. turned some pants into some paper. Yes, which is good for like post-apocalypse situations. <laughs> when you got a lot of like old jeans you don't want anymore. The, you need when some you find paper. the jeans warehouse, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you need and to you write need some to write letters letter. or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. For that apocalypse, where it's much <laughs> yeah. more important to write letters than have jeans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've got too many pants and not enough communication. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I am about to ask you a question that I had never thought of until yes. just now, and it has become extraordinarily obvious to me where the word paper comes from. Obvious? Why? Uh, because I assume we didn't get papyrus from paper. We got paper from papyrus. Yeah, Yeah, we had papyrus and then was like, this is a plant. And then we made a a product from that plant. Papyrus was the name of the plant. But if you're being semantic, papyrus isn't technically how we would define paper modernly. Because it's Ah, just like the way that it's made is overlapping reads. Like you don't make them into a pulp. You just kind of get the oh. reeds really thin sliced and then overlap them kind of like uh-huh. you're weaving and then smush uh-huh. them together and then you got your paper. So in the way that parchment is animal skin or vellum is animal skin from from the olden days, Wild. that's not technically mm-hmm. paper because it's not wood pulp. Papyrus yep. isn't wood pulp, but we took the word for paper from it anyway. Well, that's isn't that the way? Be like, hey, I'll take that. You can't have it. I'll take it and then I made it to my thing and yeah. it's not your thing, though. It's better. Yeah. Well, in fairness, it is better. Mm-hmm. I, I'd prefer a nice sheet of printer paper to some papyrus. Printer papyrus. I mean, everybody's looking to like a, a little for something a little hip. And yeah. I think that if like printer papyrus. Yes. Some people listen to vinyl records and some people have <laughs> printer papyrus. <laughs> you have to have a really beefy printer, though. Yeah. <laughs> That sucker's jamming up for sure every time. 
All right, I feel like I know what paper is, and that means that it's time to move on to the quiz portion of our show. This week, we're going to be playing Paper Truth or Fail. Most of us use paper as a thing on which to write or print, but scientists and engineers have devised many ways to make and use paper over the years. The following are three stories of incredible paper technologies, but only one of them is a true story. The rest are lies. Which one is the true one? To enable other scientists to read the sequence of short pieces of DNA, scientists crafted a paper strip labeled with fluorescent dyes that reacted with nucleic acids. When the strip is dipped into a solution containing the DNA in question, it produces a color readout corresponding to the sequence. It could be that, or it could be... While secret messages can be sent with invisible ink, one engineer wanted to see if they could make a paper that is the secret message. To do this, they drew lines onto a paper using an ink containing materials that reacts with infrared light. The paper then looks like it's filled with scribbles, but under the light, materials inside of those lines contract and cause the paper around them to self-fold into a message. What? Or it could be this fact. To create a material that could potentially be used as a powerful band-aid, researchers fabricated a paper using organ tissue. They used pig organs, stripping them of their cells and grinding the protein mesh that remained into a powder that they then mixed with other chemicals to create a thin sheet that is able to support the growth of human stem cells. So, is it hmm. the genetic paper for your genetics paper, a secret papered into your secret paper, or a tissue paper made out of paper tissue. <laughs> Those are good descriptions. <laughs> I do not understand the first one, I don't think. It's a, so it's a piece of paper, and it's got special stuff inside of it that binds to nucleic acids and, uh, and reacts with them. And as the, the solution like is drawn up the paper by capillary action, mm. it, it binds, and then uh, according to some thing to do with the DNA it then is able to sort of like show you the pattern that a specific sequence of DNA would make Okay, on the paper. Smart guy stuff. <laughs> <sighs> that feels like it would be rude if that existed because I did so much DNA sequencing in my undergrad. Just the yeah, old fashioned like, way. This is the I thing. Know, this, this is, is the, the thing. Like that's how every, like it's been 20 years and, and now people <laughs> are like, oh, you had to pipette by hand. Well, of course they still. They still have to pipette by hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't, you let the robot pipette for you? There, there is a, ro there are robot pipettes pipette though. and robot by yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely. That just like, meep, 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 meep. I've seen them. No more scientists, only pipette and robots, right? Yeah. That seems like, as much as I know about scientists, it seems like mostly what they're doing is pipetting. Is that true? That is, yeah. It is a lot. I've heard you complain about pipetting. I've heard yeah. Siri complain about pipetting. Yeah. I've heard Deboki complain about pipetting. It's a big part I of I mean, the job. I've even pipetted and it sucked ass. So. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, I think, is something else that you that has been turned into this fact. I, I feel like oh. I've heard something like this, a self-folding paper, but I don't think it was used for secret messages. It was used for something else. That, I feel like, is the most likely one for me, just because so much gets invested into secrets. I feel like ever hmm. secret paper coatings, secret but messages. But you look at that paper and be like, "There's something weird about this paper," and I'm a spy, so I will get to the bottom of it. You don't I'll want the spy to gadgets. think I will get to the bottom of this. <laughs> you want them to think, "Oh, what a normal-looking piece of paper." I don't have time for paper. I'm a spy. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's number three. Based on absolutely nothing, I think 
Number tissue three, paper made out of paper tissue? Yes. Hmm. Number three sounds nice and useful somehow down the line. It doesn't feel like there's enough structure. I've heard of people stripping up cells, but I feel like as soon as you grind them up, then it becomes less biologically useful. So I'm going to go with the secret paper. Well, Sari, there is self-folding paper inspired by plants, Mm. and it really does rely on water-based solution created by a team of scientists from uh, Japan. It is inspired by the movement of plants as controlled by the absorption and release of water within cellulose. And they could they uh, used an inkjet printer to print using cartridges full of the inks and different concentration of solutes. It was a real thing. You can read about it uh, by Googling self-folding paper structures right out of the printer. You'll find the, the advancedsciencenews.com article. But there indeed, there was not a thing where you can do this uh, fancy stuff. Trying to tell you, Sarah. Oh, okay, light. okay. I <laughs> thought you were trying to trick me. <laughs> no, I'm not smart enough to remember that I should try to trick you. <laughs> and of course, that first one is mostly just based on how existing techniques work to use electrophoresis and gel materials. Uh, you can't do you can't do it with paper, unfortunately. Yet, maybe someday to make the lives of all those students easier. And that means Sam is correct. And it all started out with a mistake. A materials engineer at Northwestern University was working on making an ink out of ovaries that could be used in a 3D printer. Why? Is a word, a oh. bunch of words I really just said. Uh, when he accidentally spilled some of that ink, but when he went to clean up the mess, he found that the ink had dried into a sheet. What? This what? ovary paper. What Whoops. a series of events this fellow experienced. Yeah. yeah. So he and a team of other scientists at Northwestern decided to see if they could create paper out of other organs, testing out their method uh, with material taken from cow and pig organs. These included uh, material from the ovaries, uterus, heart, liver, and muscle. And for those different parts, the scientists had to first wash them with a detergent that stripped away the cells. So, Sarah, you are right. This isn't the cells. Mm -hmm. It leaves behind the scaffold of proteins and carbohydrates, Uh which they then ground up into the powder, mixed it with a solvent, and then left it out to dry into a thin, flat, flexible sheet. It's like vellum but of the future. From there, they did um, some sensible experiments like showing that the paper could support stem cell growth and that they could grow hormone-producing ovary tissue from their uh, on their paper. Uh, they also... Oh, no, it says from their paper. <laughs> they also demonstrated that they could uh, make pap- a paper crane out of their tissue paper, which is silly and a little gross, but also yeah. demonstrates the flexibility of the material, which could uh, make it usical, u- useful in surgical contexts. So Sam came out of that with the point. Sari got nothing. Next up, we're going to take a short break, and then it's time for the fact off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. 
It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. Welcome back, everybody. Now it's time for the Fact Off. Our panelists have all brought science facts to present to me in an attempt to blow my mind. And after they have presented their facts, I will judge whichever one I think is going to make the best TikTok and award it Hank Bucks any way I see fit. And to decide who goes first, I have a trivia question. When you are buying groceries, you might be familiar with the question paper or plastic. But the first mass-produced paper bags were flat and shaped like an envelope, which limited both the amount of space they had to hold stuff and their durability compared to the flat-bottom upright bags that we have at the store today. At first, these flat-bottom bags could only be made by hand, so they were expensive to make, until an inventor named Margaret E. Knight created a machine that could fold and glue them, making the mass production of these bags possible. In what year was she awarded the patent for her machine? So her name's Margaret E. Knight. And she got yes. a patent, which yes. I feel like narrows it down to some certain time frame. Yeah. But yeah, I'm going to say 
1922. I feel like earlier than grocery stores feel like an old thing. I think grocery stores are kind of a new thing. No? I think grocery stores of some kinds have always existed. Yeah, you'd go but to the, the market. grocery stores. We understand it. Paper or yeah. plastic. Still, you don't have to have a grocery store to have a paper bag. I think they put everything in a crate for you up to oh, a certain point. A, right? a, just a bunch of human nailed wood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to say 1760. That can't possibly be right. Well, I thought Sarah was going to have a lock on this, oh, rats. but you went way early. I don't it's, know when things are existing. It's 1871. Uh, uh, so, Sam, congratulations. You weren't uh, named Margaret E. Knight in 1760. Okay, okay. <laughs> Maybe I, people, I think I went a little early. For people were named Margaret V. Knight in 1760. <laughs> <laughs> Margaret E. Knight would have to be That's, like... Uh, Manfred E. Knight secretly <laughs> right. patenting under a male name, probably yeah. in 1760. Okay, okay. Yeah. Here's some names from the 1700s. <laughs> <laughs> Betty, Bridget, Caroline, Catherine. See? Okay, okay. These I are normal names. Right. Harriet, Francis. Betty in the 1700s? Apparently. <laughs> of course, yeah. the most common boy name during colonial times was John, closely followed by the very other very classic boy names such as William and Henry. <laughs> all three. <laughs> got all three of your names. <laughs> First sentence of 1700s names. <laughs> I like the fact that Sam thinks that there were knights in 1760. <laughs> <laughs> There's still it's nights. a really good joke, so I, I didn't want to be mean about it. But. There were probably a couple left. <laughs> there was re- definitely like colonial, um, yeah, nostalgic people who did Ren fairs and like, oh, Sir Knight, how's it going? <laughs> Europe still existed in the 1700s. Yeah. Europe still exists now, uh-huh. <laughs> and there's knights. Paul McCartney's a knight, you know. That's true. Paul McCartney is a knight. There are still knights. Okay, Sam wins, and also Sam wins. Who do you want to go first? I'm scared of this one. I want I want to go first because I I don't know how this is going to go. Okay, in the 1850s, America had newspaper fever, and in the 1850s, and this I did not know, we were using linen fibers, usually from old rags to make paper, wow. and not wood pulp like newsprint is made of today. And we needed a lot of rags to make the millions of newspapers being printed every year, something like 405 million pounds or 183 million kilograms of rags every year. And we are importing rags from all over the place. But as other countries started printing more and more as well, uh, there aren't that, you know, there's so many only so many dirty rags to go around. So we had a rag shortage. (laughs) I like the so like all newspaper is is like. The existence of newspaper is is built upon just a tremendous surplus of rags. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Like there were way too many rags. I don't know what we were doing with them, <laughs> but there were lots. Yeah. And and so we were like, I guess we should just create journalism. We need to create journalism. <laughs> and then the and then we that journalism got so popular that the rags were like we're all done with now. The we rags. have a rag shortage. Like, we thought we'd have rags forever, but look at us now. So anyway, uh, we're out of rags. So radical solutions had to be explored so we could have newspapers. Meanwhile, in like 2050 BCE, 
The Egyptian people were engaging in the practice of mummification. That's a type not of, how meanwhile works. <laughs> a type of ceremonial burial that involves embalming the body and wrapping it up in linens. Uh, you know what mummies are. And huh. while it might seem to the modern day person that mummification was reserved for pharaohs and people of high rank, I think pretty much everybody got mummified back then. It was just what you did when you died. And after I'm being a little worried about where this is going. And after being mummified, often you were buried in what was basically a graveyard with lots of other mummies. Now, back to the 1850s, another fever that was sweeping not just America, but the world was mummy fever. People in Europe had been obsessed with mummies for a pretty long time at this point, stealing them from Egypt and destroying them to make medicine, to make paint. Uh, and basically as like sideshow acts, they would just take mummies apart and be like, whoa, look at this uh, for like the previous 200 years before this. So there were European people crawling all over Egypt, digging up mummies for all kinds of reasons. And one of these people was Dr. Isaiah Deck. Deck, uh, an Englishman, was an explorer by trade. And I think what explorer means basically is that he just would go around the world looking for stuff to steal and mm -hmm. ways to make money. And wouldn't you know it, the London Times put out a 1,000 pound prize to anyone who could find a new source of paper. So according to my very unscientific calculations, I think that was about $35,000. Uh, and, you know, that's a lot of money. So mm -hmm. off Dr. Deck went in search of paper. Uh, he went to Jamaica, where he was simultaneously looking for copper mines to exploit. Uh, and he thought about plantains and native grasses, but that he couldn't make that work. Then he just happened to be on a trip with his dad in Egypt looking for Cleopatra's lost emerald mines. When he <laughs> Real explorer I guess a different era. Yeah. Uh. That's just what people did on vacation back then. Yeah. They didn't have It's Disney just like, like I got a lot of irons in the fire, you know? <laughs> Trying to solve this paper problem, <laughs> trying to exploit copper in Jamaica. Yeah. There's a lost emerald mine, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. I think that this guy's got, I'm pretty sure he's got a good line on the Holy Grail. I'm going to head for that. Yep. Real Indiana so, Jones vibe here. While he and his dad were in Egypt, he realized that there were just tons of mummies everywhere. They were digging up big holes filled with mummies, and they were all wrapped in linen. Linen that had been treated with preserving chemicals even. Mummies, thought Dr. Deck, was paper. So he wrote a scientific paper called On a Supply of Paper Material from the Mummy Pits of Egypt, in which he estimated that if we took the wrapping of all the mummies in Egypt, we'd have enough linen to supply America with paper for 14 years. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> That's not... got to be wrong. <laughs> yeah, I think since then, people have looked at it and been like, no, that couldn't <laughs> possibly be right. It's like that was only for 14 years. And we were just yeah. like, it's worth it for our newspapers. Look, from what I can tell, <laughs> this mummy pit goes all the way down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like so far, we haven't hit the bottom. I'm guessing center of the earth. Like I might as well just keep stealing. Like there must be more things that I haven't found. Yeah, this mummy pit. It's it's unlimited. Yeah. I'm just going to take it all and the more will appear because I'm a yes, great treasure what I hunter. Know about, what I know about stealing from other countries is that the exploitation goes on forever. Yeah. Yes. You never run out of the resource. Absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> so he wrote this paper, but there is scarce evidence that anyone actually ever made paper from mummy wrappings. There's evidence that big bales of mummy wrappings were imported to America all the time. There's correspondence from paper manufacturers asking very serious questions about if it's possible to make paper out of money, mummies. Uh, and as of 2010, there have been two broadsides discovered that describe a paper manufacturer in Connecticut that made 14,000 pounds of mummy paper every day, according to them, at least. But apparently there's been no test conceived of that would positively identify paper as mummy paper and not just linen paper. 
And some of the tests that could help us narrow it down, like carbon dating, are destructive enough that and wouldn't narrow down the information enough yeah. that anyone has thought it was worthwhile to do it. So it's still a, mes- uh, a mystery. So it seems like maybe people made a lot of mummy paper. Uh, uh, they, yeah. According to them, anyway. According to them, they're making lots of mummy paper. <laughs> Fortunately, simultaneous to all this, the process for making wood pulp-based newsprint was being perfected, and by the end of the 1850s, newspapers were printed on that instead of mummies. Uh, but I'm actually not sure if anybody ever got that $35,000. Yeah, I mean, it feels like it must have been the, the, the wood people. I guess. They so were like, hey, we did it. And they're like, nah, you don't need it. You're you're fine. <laughs> Your solution's too boring. Yeah. These people yeah. are trying to make... well, I, want, I, wanted <laughs> I wanted it to come paper. I wanted it to come out of big, big pits of dead people. Yeah. The reality that this was all rag based really does like change how I'm trying to imagine the importance of rags <laughs> in the rags. past. We were <laughs> we were thinking about rag binding. Now I just have rags sitting all over the place. Yeah, know? nothing to do with them. I just feel like this guy was a tremendous bullshit artist. <laughs> <laughs> well, he might have also just been really dumb, too. You know, probably a little bit of both. Maybe could have figured out a better solution. <laughs> Maybe could have, would have looked at that those tree people. That's the thing. He, he looked at trees and was like, nah, <laughs> that can't be paper. <laughs> Couldn't possibly. I, well, I can't I, take these banana husks that look papery already and turn yeah, it into yeah. paper. No. I need a rag. <laughs> I need, <laughs> I think yeah. outside of the box, man. Yeah. I mean, mindset, unfortunately. I just gotta be like, I gotta just like slice this tree really thin. <laughs> yeah. That's gotta be it. That's just the hanging out in Jamaica, trying to slice a tree as thin as he possibly could. Never worked out for him though. Yeah. And his yeah. dad, then his dad swooped in and said, Hey, we got emerald mines to look for. Stop slicing right. those trees. Let's go. Let's go. All right, Sari. What do you what do you have for me? Something much less weird. Because <laughs> but life... is it but is it more of a thing that actually happened? Yeah, uh, is it yes. more science related. It is that more science also... related. Less uh, yeah. grand movie plot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, like we've talked about, modern paper is dried plant mush, and the orderliness of cellulose molecules is important for the structure and function of living plant cells. But when we make paper. That doesn't matter so much. What we're really going for is enough molecules squished together that the paper is thick and sturdy enough. So some cellulose fibers end up being amorphous or disordered, and some are crystalline or ordered. And paper is fairly easy to recycle because you just have to strip away anything that you don't want, like ink or glue, mush it back up again, strain out the not sturdy enough cellulose molecules, and then make more paper out of what's left. As we reuse and reuse paper, we get more of that not very sturdy paper sludge, which can be dealt with in a number of ways, like burning or composting, because nature handles cellulose really well. But another strategy is to make cellulose nanocrystals, or CNCs. Uh, I won't get into the weeds of the material science here, but basically you can take waste newspaper or paper sludge or bulk plant material like banana husks, extract (laughs) the cellulose, and use a technique called acid hydrolysis to create this crystalline material with some very cool properties. From what I can tell, a lot of people are currently exploring what cellulose nanocrystals can do. There are lots of papers from the last decade or so. One option is adding it back into paper making processes or even concrete to increase strength. They're just like these really stable crystal structures. 
Other scientists have tried assembling CNCs into thin cellulose films, which are a biodegradable alternative to plastics like polyethylene films, and those are cool and all for environmental reasons. But for the glamorous folks among us, a study published in November 2021 in Nature Materials showed how a team used CNCs to make really beautiful rainbowy glitter. Uh, This glitter gets its pizzazz thanks to structural color rather than pigment. So it's the way visible light refracts inside the cellulose nanocrystals, similar to how butterfly wings or peacock feathers get their iridescence as opposed to... Uh, like paint. And it's sparkly. It's colorful. It's edible and wearable and biodegradable and not made of microplastics like a lot of current mm-hmm. glitter. I mean, like all of current glitter. Yeah. Like what else do you make it out of? Mica. You can like squish up rock, oh, get the rock. mineral. Okay. Yeah. Fish scales too, I bet. Yeah. Anything shiny that you find, mm-hmm. you can just smush it smaller and then that's glitter. But a lot of plastic. Uh, so if we can push to recycle more paper and plant scraps, then maybe... We don't just make more paper. We might be headed into a bright cellulose-filled future of arts and crafts. See, this is good because, one, my brain is like, no, you can't make glitter out of paper. That doesn't make (laughs) sense. But, you know, crystals. Two, people are worried about microplastics. Mm -hmm. Three, people like glitter. Yeah, you got biodegradable glitter. You can sprinkle it. It'll still get everywhere, but then eventually a bacteria will just num, 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 eat it away. It'll be gone. Well, if I had said mine in the 1850s, you would have said, this is good because we're running out of rags. <laughs> we're running out of rags. And people yeah. love money. People, mummies. people <laughs> like the newspaper. And and I and like I I have no problem with grave robbing. Well, here's the situation. I think that both of those facts are about equally good, but Sam already had a point coming into it. So the winner of our episode. Sorry, Sari. It's Sam. Congratulations, Thanks. Sam. I've been real smart lately. That's what I'm... You are handily winning this season. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. You got a lot of chance to come back, Sari. Yeah. It's seven to five. I think I lost by like 20 episodes last year. So yeah. It's okay. <laughs> We're neck and neck. Yeah. All right, that means it's time to ask the science couch where we've got some listener questions for our virtual couch of finely honed scientific minds. This one is from at Belinda Messi, who asks, what gives fresh paper and fresh books that nice smelling smell? You know, I don't I don't know. I, I know that there's like a thing that happens to paper after it's like been around for a while where it it degrades into vanillin, mm-hmm. um, which smells like vanilla because it's the thing that gives vanilla a lot of its vanilla smell. But I think that that mostly happens when it's when it's a little old, not when it's brand new. So I don't know what what like VOCs would come off of paper that would be actually smellable because the cellulose is probably too big to smell. I would guess it's the bleaching stuff because bleach smells kind of nice, don't you think? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think it does. <laughs> so do you do you know Sari? Do you I, I got nothing. Yeah. So I also found a lot about old books. Mm-hmm. And you're right, vanillin, benzaldehyde is another big one. Yeah. That's the almondy smelling one. Yeah. Um and furfural, I think that's how you say it, which is almond like. Uh so yeah, a lot of a lot of people talk about old book spell because those are what the paper compounds like the cellulose and lignin break down into. For new books, it's what Sam said, basically, of like everything that we put into the paper or books, new books, that could be kind of stinky. So papers, 
inks, bleaching agents, adhesives. Oh, inks, Ink, totally. Yeah. yeah. I totally like feel like I can, when I crack up in a new book, there's like an ink smell. Mm-hmm. And I tried to find mm. some of it. I There isn't a lot of modern printing press literature out there as far as I could find. But um, a lot of bookbinding adhesives used nowadays are ethylene copolymers, like vinyl acetate ethylene or ethylene vinyl acetate. Right. Uh, so just some just some like normal solvent smells. Yeah, normal solvent yeah. smells. But, you know, could be could be good. Hydrogen peroxide is like a common bleaching agent. So that's like medicinal. What was interesting is that paper mills have a very bad rap. Uh, for stinky. smelling very stinky, yeah, yeah. for mm. just because it's like industrial and sulfurous, and a lot of sulfurous chemicals or reduced sulfur chemicals that smell like rotten eggs or whatnot get released into the air. From what I can tell, the the good paper smell is probably the printing process, and I only say this anecdotally because we used to have a laser jet printer, like that's what I printed all my high school essays on was like this big laser jet printer and uh printers like that can be uh, like the combination of heat so then they're heating up toner um and Mm -hmm. like to melt the plastic they could give like a light uh, heat up the wood a little bit so it's like a light burnt Mm -hmm. smell Mm -hmm. but also it heats up air molecules and like you can smell ozone which is kind of like a little bit smoky sweet like the the smell of thunderstorm, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Sarah's being a real champion, given this whole spiel. While Sam and I smell every <laughs> yeah, book. listening and thinking about what, <laughs> yeah, yeah, me what's too. Saying, yeah. But like we're just like smelling books. I books. love it. This is great. Uh, yeah, um, or or printers, any sort of printer where you're putting ink on. There's usually some heat, so like it could be mm-hmm. just heat burning up dust a little bit, or it could be. Mm. Like any sort of, so if you like campfire yeah. smells or like burning yeah. things, then that. Would be- so I've gone through and I've smelled a sort of like selection of books that I have. Like this is the book I got most recently, I think. I got mm-hmm. it in the mail from my publisher and it has very little smell. It is like hard to detect. There's a smell there, but it's kind of hard to detect. And then I like the, the oldest book I smelled, I think had the, the strongest and best smell. The older books smelled better. And the newer books smelled less, but also worse. Comic yeah. books smell different than uh non-comic yeah. books. That's what I they was saying. Comic like books yeah. more ink. Yeah. Let me let me get a let me get a, Yeah. Very inky. So that one's pretty old. And it's, it does have that vanillin smell, even the comic book. And it We're smells going, like going by here. A little bit like the bookstore in general, which will be like, I don't know. That book furniture. Sm- bookstore smell. Yeah, for sure. We're really going after it, you guys. I have a lot of books down here to smell. I'm going to be at yeah. it all day. Well, the world will never know. No, that's- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever so, Sari said is the right answer. If you want to ask the Science Scouts your questions, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to everybody who does that. we got a lot of followers now. Or you can join the Tangents Patreon and ask us on Discord. Thank you to at Jill Friedenberg at Mystical Elven and everybody else who asked us your questions for this episode. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's super easy to do that. 
First, you can go to patreon.com slash scishowtangents to become a patron and get access to things like our newsletter and our bonus episodes. Second, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's helpful and it helps us know what you think about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell people about us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Sam Schultz, who edits a lot of these episodes, along with Seth Glicksman. Our story editor is Alex Billow. Our social media organizer is Paolo Garcia Prieto. Our editorial assistants are Deboki Trapravardi and Emma Douster. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our executive producers are Caitlin Hoffmeister and me, Hank Green. And we couldn't make any of this, of course, without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you, and remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled. Let a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. Humans have been wiping their butts with paper products for centuries, but the first commercial toilet paper is credited to an American inventor named Joseph C. Gaiety in 1857. It was made from a banana plant fiber. Again, bananas, they're back, Mm -hmm. called uh, manila hemp, and it was infused with aloe gel. That sounds awfully nice. Also, it had his name watermarked into every sheet. (laughs) That's nice. <laughs> he had to market the heck out of it to get people to give him money instead of wiping their butts with free catalogs. Sure. So I present to you a quote from a flyer titled The Greatest Necessity of the Age Gaiety's Medicated Paper for the Water Closet. And here it is Quote Printed paper, everybody knows, is rank poison to tender portions of the body. <laughs> <laughs> Individuals would not put printer's ink in their mouths, yet they have no hesitation in allowing themselves and their children to lay in a plentiful crop of piles or aggravating them if they exist by applying that ink to the tenderest part of their body corporate, if we accept the eye. So, so the the question was asked at Gaiety headquarters, what is the tenderest part of the body? Mm-hmm. And they were like, I think it's my butthole. And somebody was like, your eye. It's the eye. It's the eye. They're like, okay, fine. How much cheaper in every respect is it to use paper made of the purest material and medicated with the greatest care? How much? It, I agree. Cheaper in every respect, that. except for dollars. Except for dollars. <laughs> you save a lot of money in butthole maintenance, though. I think. Yeah. That's right. The thrifty you... man spends twice on his butthole. But that's like. <laughs> 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 that's, that's a true gaiety of our age, Sam. <laughs> mm-hmm.